Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb. I, uh, well, I, I feel the same way about you, Caleb. Um, so thankful for your leadership. And it's a fun journey to now be a Tampa Bay resident. Um, officially a Florida resident. I've got the license to prove it because I did get pulled over on the first week being here. And he said, when did you move here? I said, one week ago, sir. He said, get your license changed. So I did it. So I got a, got a Florida license. So anyway, I'm official. We're Florida. Um, I didn't get a ticket, by the way. He was very kind. It's the airport where they changed every five, you know, every mile. It's a different five off the speed limit. You know what I'm talking about? They get you. They get you. Anyway, it's a joy to be with you guys. And um, I, I'm just thankful for, uh, I'm so thankful for Caleb's leadership and, the, and so many pastors and leaders within this region have such a, a marked humility, having traveled a decent amount, you know, there's a lot of talk and not a lot of doing on unity and humility. But having now been here for almost a year and knowing Caleb and some of the others longer than that, uh, I'm shocked. I, I, I literally would travel the country and go, it's real. There's a city doing it. They're serving each other. They're sending people from one church to another and, and being joyful about it. And they're like giving to each other, and they all come together on Pentecost Sunday and shut their churches down. I mean, like, what is happening in Tampa Bay? So I'm just excited to be a part of it, just one small piece, just one little piece of the puzzle. And so it's just a real joy to be here. Um, so I'm, I'm going to share this morning, afternoon... Uh, a message called the Hope Pathway, and this has been just burning in my heart um, now for some time. I, I feel like that one of the things we're dealing with is not just in the church, but in the human race, is that there's a predominant emotion of hopelessness and discouragement, just at the heart level. How many of you know we can't really function? It's difficult to love when you're hopeless. Paul said these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so really the goal is love. But it's very difficult without faith and hope. Actually, I'll say it another way. It's impossible without faith and hope to actually love. And, and we're not talking about superficial hope. We're not talking about wishful thinking, pipe dream, self-help, encouragement. You know, we're talking about what the Bible calls the hope that does not disappoint. So the actual hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus, the hope of his calling, the Bible speaks about in our, on our lives. And, but I want to talk about, in a minute, I'm going to go to a few passages that deal with a hope pathway for us corporately. Jesus has a way forward, and it's especially important right now. And, and this isn't to minimize either the personal pain that any of us are going through, because we all have that. But then there's the corporate dimension of the headlines, which is causing tremendous amounts of hopelessness, what's happening in the earth, what's happening in America, and then you, and then you go to what's happening in the church, 
And we're in a very difficult time in the church, the charismatic church, and and leaders are, there's issues, and, and we're, we're going, man, it's easy to succumb to hopelessness or, or perhaps confusion. You know, it's like we know Jesus is the hope. I mean, in a basic theological sense, most people go, okay, so God's the only way forward, but what do I do? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's one thing to be like, Jesus is our hope. It's another thing to be like, how do I move forward in hope? And, and the great news is, is that there, there are biblical, there's a biblical pathway forward that we can be confident in that's not just wishful thinking. We, we want to teach a whole generation how we as regions move forward into the purposes of God in hope. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning is some of what I believe is unfolding of a pathway forward for us as a region in hope, real hope, not minimizing the issues and the struggles and the trials, but a solid foundation, which is Christ himself. That's the, that's the message. The hope is Jesus, but Jesus has a culture and he's inviting us in. And we can learn that culture. And, and when we walk in it, transformation comes. And we don't have to work it up, hype it up, manufacture it, convince ourselves of it. It's real. Amen. Well, uh, really briefly, uh, I'd love to share just a little bit of our story with you. And this is just for the purpose of getting to know each other. Um, it's also related to some things unfolding in the next month and a half. But I... Uh, we're, we're getting to know one another, um, and that's part of the fun part, and is that God's building a family, not just 51C3 entities and organizations. He's building a spiritual family where we're more connected to each other than we have any idea. You know, I've often said, you know, it, I am, we are more, we have more in common with an Arab believer in the Middle East that doesn't speak English, but loves Jesus, than a white Republican neighbor that doesn't. Th that's true. That's the kingdom of God. It's the spiritual family. And so that, so this is the reality is that we need each other a lot more than we realize. And our stories are all interconnected. You know, I mean, uh, it's amazing how God just builds us together and he's really doing it on purpose. And, and then, so, the, so we're family. And then also, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's, it's an act of spiritual warfare to share stories of God's faithfulness. And so I just want to share a little bit of our story, and then we'll get into two passages that I really felt were important for, the, for today. But a little bit of, of my background. I'm from the D.C. area, Washington, D.C. I lived in Virginia my whole life. Um, so lived in Virginia for 42 years. That's that's my age. Um, and, so, and, and so this is the first time living somewhere other than Virginia. What's up, Emily? And Emily was hanging with us in Virginia for a while. So, but, um, you know, this is the first time living in another, uh, another state. And it was really, I'm not going to tell that whole story, but Cale was a part of that story as well. Um, just where God really confirmed it. But uh, lived there my whole life. And about 15 years old, encountered God dramatically. I grew up in a preacher's home. My dad's a pastor. So grew up in the church, lived, eat, breathe, church, family, you know. And 
but as a teenager, dramatically encountered God, and that turned into a move of God with just hundreds of young people, and amazing. But in the middle of all of that, uh, God began to speak to us about, or, or I'll say it this way, somebody came to me with the idea that we pray 24-7 for a, a week, and we whittled it down to three days. They said a week. I said, no way. We'll do three days. Because I, for me, praying for an hour was miserable. I mean, it was my least favorite thing in the kingdom of God. I liked outreaches, events, missions, preaching, teaching. I liked all that stuff. I just didn't like prayer. Prayer is the worst part. And so I'm thinking 24 hours is going to be the worst thing we've ever done. But I also thought at least some good will come from it because I had enough Bible. And we all know enough Bible to know it's a good thing to talk to God, right? So probably some good will come out of it. So let's do three days and maybe a breakthrough will come next week if we'll talk to him for three days. Like we clock in on prayer, you know. You clock in for 24, you get 24 hours of breakthrough or something. You just weird mindsets. But you've had them too, so don't judge me like that. I can see you judging me. But like... But those three days completely changed our lives, completely changed my life, because I discovered the great part about prayer is not prayer. If, if you make prayer about prayer, it gets really old really fast. It's not about prayer. And worship's not about worship. It's about Jesus. It's a conversation. It's an interaction. It's a drawing near. And the great part about prayer is God. <laughs> and he says, I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. And so God showed up. For three days. And 17-year-old kids are coming up going, can we please never stop? And, you know, and then so for the rest of, it changed our whole, it changed everything. And so fast forward a number of years, and we had a small community, and we made a ton of mistakes in the process. We were young leaders. <laughs> I look back, and we did a session with some of our interns yesterday, and I said, let me go through my top ten mistakes. Because <laughs> It's just so you don't make some of these, you know. And so we did it imperfectly. But I'll tell you one thing it had was spiritual hunger. And it was 18 hours a day of worship and prayer with about 100 whatever number ebbs and flows of young people. And, it, and one thing I discovered is you can't relate to God in a place of intimacy without things getting birthed. Kind of like marriage. Things get birthed. And so here we are just minding our own business, hidden under the radar. Just My whole vision was just our local community. I wasn't thinking about the nations or the nation very much at all. And God suddenly breaks in. We had a, we had a large gathering that we would do for young adults and God, uh, relatively large. And God gave me a dream where we were doing this gathering in a large circus tent. And in the dream, I knew the, the guy that owned the tent, but I never met this guy before. It's a real guy that owns a tent, and, but I, didn't, I knew of him. Well, that guy, believe it or not, calls a couple weeks later, and he says, I know you don't know me, but the Holy Spirit told me to call you. What are we supposed to do together? True story. And I'm like, I had a dream we were using your tent. He goes, I'm in for free. He goes, the only thing you have to do is you can't charge any registration for the event if you're going to use my tent. So I'm like, we got to do it by faith. I didn't know I was in the school of the spirit, you know. He brings the tent up for a couple different times. Well, this one time, this older man, he's in like 86 years old, prophetic man, was with us. And he calls us into this side tent. And he goes, I got a word for you. 
He goes, you're going to be part of a tent movement. I'm like, what is that? Then he says, it's going to be porta johns and hot dog stands beyond your wildest imagination. (laughs) Thus says the Lord. I mean, (laughs) and then he says, he says, the youth of America are going to gather. He says, it'll be praise, prayer, and prophecy. He says all this stuff. He said the phrase, Holy Spirit Woodstock was a phrase, he said. I'm like, Holy Spirit Woodstock? Where is that in the Bible? I'm actually going to show you where it's in the Bible here in a second. But he said, and so fast forward a, a, a few years, and God begins to speak to us. And when I say God begins to speak to us, you know, I'm charismatic, but sometimes it's charismatic where God told me, God told me everything. And sometimes you got to be sometimes careful to say God told me. Just put that out there. And, but this was actually one of the times in my life where I went, God actually said, I believe. And it was very dramatic, kind of multiple people having the same dream. I won't tell all the story, but it was one thing after another. And I was, believe me, Gideon did the three fleece thing. I did like ten. I was like, I can't, because I knew God was speaking about going to the National Mall in Washington, D.C. and setting up 50 tents, one for every state, and calling thousands of musicians to not gather, and nobody get, we're not paying their way, to come on their own dime, to minister to the Lord and pray at the center of the nation, and we're not gathering around a celebrity or a personality or whatever else, and, and that thing was going to cost ultimately millions of dollars to do. And we had like $30,000 max. And we were like, this is impossible. And I for, it just dragged our feet. And finally, the Lord dramatically confirms. I remember when Heidi Baker publicly rebuked me. And she did it again a couple months ago. It's like a theme here. Um, but God had so dramatically confirmed. I said, I don't know what we're supposed to do. She goes, well, I know what you're supposed to do. Because it was to the point where like, I'm riding with my, one of my, uh, Lou Engel, in the car, and, and I'm trying to give him the word. We got to go to the National, you got to go to the National Mall and do this. He goes, you're the one with the word. He goes, if you pull the trigger, we'll go with you. I'm like, pull the trigger? I'm like, Lou, what's my next step? He goes, you got to talk to my friend Chris. And I'm like, your friend Chris? I'm like, well, you want to set a meeting up or something? He goes, yeah, I'll set a meeting up. You, we can talk to Chris about it, and Chris lives in Kansas City. We're in Atlanta. I'm flying to Virginia. I drop Lou off, go to the airport. I'm standing in line for my flight, and I look up, and the guy in front of me in line is Chris. I'm like, unbelievable. So it was a bunch of those type of moments, and you realize, you got to do this. We actually have to do this. So we booked the National Mall. It's a weird day in your life to go in and pull a permit for the whole National Mall, and and they're like, what are you doing? We're going to pray and sing 24-7. They're like, what? Nonstop. Yeah, all night. I remember the guy, we were setting up the 50 tents covering the whole mall, and the guy from the Smithsonian comes out, the museum. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's, got, I've, he's like, I've worked here 16 years. I've never seen so many tents in my life. Because it turned into 58 tents, 50 state tents, and, and then eight other tents regional, we had a First Nations, we had Israel, we had just all these, it's just tent city. And, um, 
And the guy's like, why are you, what are you doing? I'm like, it's good. It's worship. He goes, why? I'm like, this guy's asking the exact right question. And the answer is that Jesus is worthy. But anyway, long story short, about 1,700 worship teams showed up on their own dime, filled the 58 tents 24-7, and, um, and, uh, and here's the thing. It's like, what would happen to a city or a region or a nation if, if we made it so attractive to the presence of the Lord he couldn't stay away? What if we built that way? You know, I think, what is the most, not just the most attractive thing to people, but to the Lord? And anyway, so top government officials uh, got saved while this was going on. We have video footage of top governmental officials giving their life to Jesus and, and um, just stunning testimonies. In fact, one of the uh, police officers came up to one of our team on the National Mall, and he said, there's a buzz going around the police force right now because there's no crime. And he was like, usually that, you know, this would be a time of year where there's a little more. And he goes, it's not in this area. It's non-existent, and that's just unusual. And I wanted to, I think he was a believer. I just want to tell you guys something's going on. So, but one of the great outcomes was that groups from every state began to meet one another that all carry the same value of hosting the Lord's presence in their region, they all begin to go back and collaborate, and it turned into uh, about 800 tent gatherings in the past uh, seven years on universities and campuses. And, um, and then a family just began to emerge across the nation. We, we didn't mean to, weren't trying to start a movement or whatever else. It's just God has... God has his ways. And so I, I say all that not to say, wow, look what we did. I mean, honestly, if you know us, God gets the glory. Believe me. Like uh, I said first service, like our marketing team is not, not good, to, good enough to do that. And then I felt like I threw them under the bus. They're actually great. But not enough to do that. Like God just does things sometimes. And he's looking for all of us. He's just looking for our yes. I mean, believe me, you, I remember when Heidi Baker, uh, we were – my gosh, we were like a million dollars in the red the night before. Actually, 1.4. And I'm like, I am like undone. I mean, God, you told us to do it. You're gonna, you know, like, what's the deal? And Heidi walks into this small group of us in a hotel room. I said, hey, can you please come? If you don't know Heidi, she's a missionary in the nations, got a gift of faith. I said, and so she comes in the room, and she's on a business call. <laughs> I'll never forget this moment. Hangs up the phone looks at me. We haven't even talked yet. And she points at me and starts laughing uncontrollably. And this is what she starts saying. God uses who he chooses. Ah! And she's pointing at me. And I'm crying. She's laughing. And she's like, the Lord's going to provide everything. And, and a miracle of miracles he did. And that, that's a whole different story. But it was an absolute stunning miracle. Absol a divine appointment with someone that I'd never met in my life, a well-known personality, but just divine appointment. And he calls a couple weeks after the event. He goes, how, how in the red are you? We, I said, we're a million dollars in the red. He goes, I'll wire it all tomorrow. Supernatural. Pays it off. It, unbelievable. So anyway, God can do anything. That's the point. I don't know why he waits till like 1159 sometimes. <laughs> Or, or 12.05, actually. 
It's like, God, you could have done that exact miracle like three weeks earlier, and I wouldn't have any PTSD. You know what I'm talking about? I'd be fine. And now I've got like low-key PTSD because you waited till 12.15 instead of 11.55. So I don't know. We had a conversation, and he just kind of proverbially smiles and laughs at me. So, so I say all that to say this. Like, we are... Uh, we were able to purchase a 3,000-person tent. It's in a trailer in Kansas City. And so at the end of January, we're getting the tent out of the trailer. We feel like we need to set it up right here in Tampa. And so we want to invite you to – this is not a conference. I, I said last service, I don't have anything against conferences. Teachings are important. But this is 24-7 calling on Jesus' name as a region. It's nonstop worship prayer. Hopefully worship team from here will be a part, other groups all apart from across the region. We'll have some friends with us like Francis Chan and a few others, um, but they're not even coming to do, believe me, they're not coming to do a big celebrity thing. This is like, let's go lower, not higher, and call on the name of the Lord together uh, as a region. Make a space, and, th- and that's actually what I want to talk about with the whole pathway. Um, I got two passages in the scriptures, just to set context, because we need, we've got great stories, prophetic testimonies, things, but we, we need to find this. I said it jokingly, but I'm actually not. When that man said, Holy Spirit Woodstock, that's a weird concept. But when you discover these things in the biblical narrative and discover that God's government, his strategy is not a little bit different than humanism, It's diametrically opposed to humanism. In other words, there are things God does the opposite of from man's ways. And one of the things about his government is that he is, he actually administrates his authority through intimacy. Now, that's not the way human governments work. But I want to tell you right now, we don't get to vote on this. God's government works through intimacy. He rules and reigns with sons and daughters and a bride. And our voice in a region is effectual to release his government. This is a hope pathway. This is real. Our corporate voice and personal voice to the Lord releases substantial change into a region. And I'll bring it to the next level, not just our spoken words, which matter, but also the music and the sounds and the songs of the Lord are more than noise. These things are in the blueprint. I want to I draw your attention to a passage of Scripture. If this one, the second passage I'm going to talk about in just a moment is probably one you're familiar with. This one is a little bit more obscure, but it's Isaiah chapter 24. And I, I want to encourage you, there's a number of passages that the church needs to know. This is one of them. If we're going to understand the next season, we need to understand these realities, these principles. Isaiah 24, and then he actually repeats the same principle, Isaiah, in, in chapter 42 as well. So 24 and 42, he preaches the same principle. But chapter 24 of Isaiah, most scholars agree this passage actually deals with the final judgment, is, is mo- most scholars agree. I, 
got to read prophecy. It sometimes applies to that generation, sometimes to the future, and it's a little bit challenging at times. But most people believe that this, it, the title of the chapter in my Bible is Judgment on the Whole Earth. It's like, it's actually that final moment where God eradicates sin. That, that's coming, by the way. The, when God actually finally removes sin from the earth entirely, we, we want that to come. As a side note, this is a good thing. But it is a judgment on the evil one and a judgment on sin, and that is coming. And, but this passage, most scholars believe, is about that. But what I want to draw your attention to is a shocking verse in the middle of it. I mean, a lot of the verses you're reading, you're like, oh, my gosh. The whole world, they're judgment passages. But you, you're going through the text. You get to verse 14, and it's like there's this sudden shift in this glorious chapter about the final removal of sin and and from the earth. And he says this, they, and that, that, this is verse 14 of Isaiah 24, they, and that they is the nations. He's referencing the nations of the earth. He says, they lift up their voices. They sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And then verse 16, from the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. He gives the title of the song, the title of the song that they hear. Now, 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah looked into the future, and he saw something, a shocking reality, is that the ends of the earth, every nation of the earth was singing. And the title of the song is Glory to the Righteous One. It's the song of Jesus. And he looks out into redemptive history. Maybe this is new information. You come to church week after week, and we sing about half of every service, at least. And nobody thinks twice about it because we're used to it. But pause for a minute and start to ask the question, why? Why is it that when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he built something that sings? And for 2,000 years, and yea, more than that, all the way back into redemptive history, going all the way back to David's tabernacle. I was a music major in college, and we studied in a secular university David's tabernacle because 3,000 years ago, it was the most dynamical, dynamic musical thing probably going on on the earth. They're inventing instruments and writing songs, and, and so we studied that era of music history. Well, David, he wasn't just implementing some kind of system. He understood something about what happens in the Spirit. I want to just declare to you, I want us to get a grid of what's about to come. Because when that old man said, Holy Spirit Woodstock, when I peer into the prophetic scriptures, I realize there's a festival around the presence of God in the nations that Jesus is calling. Not some superficial, hyped up thing that's trying to be whatever. It's, it's actually in the blueprint that a people would live in a place of encounter. I want to tell you something right now about every person in Tampa Bay. Every single cell in their body was made to encounter God. Every young person wandering these streets was designed to know him. And God put 
worship and prayer at the core of his government because he moves from a context of intimacy. And our voices, see now, I said, we're not, God's not insecure. He's not in heaven going, please, somebody sing how great is our God again. I'm feeling really insecure today. You know, can please, somebody just tell me what a beautiful name it is. One more time. I just, I need to hear it. I'm feeling insecure today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are like, somebody sing it. <laughs> he, he takes great delight in it because he's after love. So he desires it. But it's also for your sakes. Because in God created us such that when we speak to him and sing to him and create around his presence, there is an encounter. He says, I inhabit the praises of my people. And so this is God's government. You go, you go all the way back to the upper room in the book of Acts, and it, the principle applies right into the New Testament. What were they doing when God birthed the church? The principle of first mention. You can look at the beginning of something and discover its values and its foundation. You have to pay attention to the starting points. The starting point of the church, the missions movement, was a group of 120 people from different ethnicities lifting their voices in prayer and worship and then in unity as family. And then God landed on them with a baptism of his Holy Spirit and 3,000 were saved in one hour, one moment. And then it moved, it, and that was the beginning. I would submit to you that that's not a historical event. That is a prototype. See, like when this tent goes up in January, it's not really about a tent. I mean, there's nothing magical. It's about getting outside of our four walls as family. See, these are the things that the Lord, I believe, is highlighting. He wants us together. He wants us outside our four walls, and he wants the presence of God to be manifested in a region, and then he wants the gospel to be declared, and many that are far from God, far from God in their hearts to be drawn to repentance, and so I just wanted to declare to you that something is coming. God has only just begun this movement, if we can use that word decentralized, organic movement across the earth of songs filling every single nation. It's government. God rides on it. Can you hear that? I'm talking about your voice. I'm not just talking about Chris Tomlin. I'm talking about your voice, Tampa. I'm talking about your heart. Your voice has authority. And when we lift our voices, especially when we come together as one, there is government, there is transformation, there is heaven and earth begin to collide. That's why he goes, from the ends of the earth, we're going to hear songs. Because there's way more going on than sound. And I, I want to submit to you, here, here's the second verse. This is a, a verse that you're probably familiar with. Second Chronicles 7.14. I'm so familiar with this verse, you glaze right over it. If you grew up in the church or whatever, it's one of those verses just quotes over and over, and you just, but you have to understand, let's just for a moment this morning, this afternoon, let's not glaze over this verse, because I believe it's a hope pathway. Sometimes you even read these verses, and you feel like that's kind of, it's kind of intense. 
Like you can read it and misunderstand it and think the, the premise of the text is fix yourself, get it together. How many of you know that's not the gospel? We can't fix ourselves. We can't get it together. But there is a sure pathway right now. I want to say it to, I want to say it to Gen Z, to say it to young people, to say it to our kids. There's a sure path. There's a way forward. It's like everybody's trying to figure out what to do. But we have a way forward. And the context is that they're dedicating Solomon's temple. The glory of the Lord has just fallen. Priests can't stand to minister. Solomon prays. God speaks back this passage to Solomon. And then fire falls on the sacrifice. Very dramatic moment in Israel's history, in all of the human history. Very dramatic moment. And it's about God dwelling with a people in a region. And yes, it's Old Testament, but I, I, I believe the principles of this are actually amplified in the gospel. Because we can draw near through a new and living way now. You know what I'm saying? And so the reality is that God has given us a hope pathway forward. A way that we can respond. And he is the pathway. That's the point. That's actually the point of the text. The point isn't religious activity. The point is a person. But if we want to call you as individuals and Tampa Bay to the hope pathway. We don't have to sit as bystanders. We can enter in. This is why it's so hopeful. Well, let's read it. We know the verse. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. And he says, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. I love that phrase. I will here. How many of you know, if we come together as family, because first of all, he says, if my people, not just my person. He goes, if you come together and you pray and seek my face. In other words, you don't fix yourself, you lift your voice. And, and the simplicity of that's almost offensive. You guys agree? He goes, humble yourself don't lift yourself up. Go lower, not higher. Because God does have a controversy with celebrity Christianity. Jesus is coming for the idol of celebrity Christianity right now. And I don't say that with delight. I say that with fear and trembling. He really is. He's coming to topple celebrity Christianity that we have built, which idolizes one another. It's really something that is shaking right now. And so he says, don't go higher, go lower. Humble yourself. Which means to come to terms with your absolute dependency, your, your real need, day by day need of him. Number two, he says, seek, pray and seek my face. That word for seek means to put a demand on. It mean, Like, what if we reorient our lives around that conversation with God? Not trying to work something up, not trying to earn something, but because he is the source of hope. We stay with the conversation until. I wonder if there's anybody that has that until in their heart. That would go, I'm not leaving this conversation. I know who you are. And we stay in it personally and we stay in it together. We stay in it. We stay in it. We, and then guess what happens? Anything is possible. Who is your God? Anything is possible. Don't quit the conversation. 
And, and this, what's frustrating about this is that, not frustrating, but you remember the story of, in Luke 15 of the prodigal son where the father, it says that the prodigal son went out and squandered the whole inheritance, just wasted it all. And then he, he comes to his senses, and he's coming back. And I love the passage where it says, and the fa- while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. And then it says the father ran to meet him and then kissed him and put a robe on him and put a ring on his finger and called a party. You have to understand the returning to the Lord is not a call to fix yourself and get it together. It's, it's a call to it. Simply cry out to him and then turn from your wicked ways, which is to divorce the old life. You can't change yourself, but you do make a decision to turn from everything else in total surrender. He says, surrender and turn to me. That is a decision you have to make. And then lift your voice and go low. And here's the great thing. He didn't say fix yourself or release the power or come up with all the solutions by yourself or get. He just goes, and then I will hear. And just like that prodigal father looks out, he will run to Tampa Bay. How many of you know God wants to rush on this city? He's not holding back. He's not like, oh, maybe you'll see how they. No, no. He's on the edge of his seat looking. He's looking for a people that will get out of the whirlwind of their self-effort and get out of their boredom and lust and distraction and idolatry and actually lift their voices until. And actually seek his face, which the Hebrew word means presence for face. Seek his presence. Lay a demand on that manifest glory of God that he's given us. Get an open heaven over a region. I already have it in my spirit. I want it over the whole region. I want people, I want people far from God to come under conviction of sin so much that they turn. God, we want something eyes not seen and ears not heard. But the whole pathway is sure. It's not wishful thinking. If my people who are called by my name will go low and lift their voice and just turn from the other stuff. He goes, I will hear. I will forgive. I will heal. I will set things in motion in geographic regions that will transform even infrastructure that we don't understand. And in Joel 2 is another one of these passages that he says in Joel 2, who knows whether the Lord will relent and leave a blessing. Who knows what will happen? I'm not coming to you saying this tent's going to change the city because we have a five-step plan. We do have a plan, but I don't have hope in anything other than him. And I'm, we're more coming with a who knows today. We, I don't have the confidence to hype up three days, but I have confidence in the hope pathway. And I have confidence in Jesus' nature and the gospel, and I want to say this, if we will lift our voices, if we will come together as family, and if we will stay in that conversation, I promise you, based on the word of God, and based on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Not maybe, possibly, on if God's having a good day. Do we believe this, Church of Tampa Bay? Like, is there a people that actually take God's word to be God's word and go, you know what? It's a hot mess out there, but I am not going to be a passive bystander right now. 
And guess what? I have areas. I'm, I ask you this area. Are there things in your heart? I'm going to wrap up here. That you're not letting the Lord touch. Those are the things to turn from. When we launched the social media we, about the tent, tent coming up here in Tampa, the day I, we launched it, I woke up to three dreams from one of my closest friends. And in these dreams, there was a warning from the Lord. It was very strong. It actually made me tremble that this is not supposed to be a conference. That the guide, the guardrails of this thing are Second Chronicles 7.14. This is what the Lord's inviting us into. This is the response that is needed. It's, it's like, oh, that's amazing. But it's more than that. It's necessary. It has to happen. So I want to pray for you guys. I, I just want to pray on a personal level that God would give you grace to respond to him. To turn from your wicked ways. If you're addicted to pornography or whatever it is, there's hope. There's a hope pathway. His name is Jesus. And he doesn't say fix yourself and just try harder. Yes, put guardrails up. Yes, have accountability. For real, actually. That's part of the repentance. But guess what? You can't change yourself. He says, talk to me. Come to me. Lay it down. Stay in the conversation. Draw near. And I will heal you. It's the gospel. So I want to pray, I just want to pray for us quickly that God would give us grace. Can we do that? To actually do 2 Chronicles 7.14. Can we ask him for that grace? It's just the help. Holy Spirit's the helper. That he would come and help us actually do this. Seek his face. Pray. Go low. Turn from everything else. That's it. We don't fix it. We turn to him. So Lord, we pray for that grace. I pray on the resting place. I pray for Tampa Bay. I pray for my own heart. I need this grace to turn to you in 2023 and 2024. Help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's say amen. Would you stand for a moment? We're going to have our prayer team come forward, and uh, just we're going to respond to this word. You know, we, we're going to release everyone because we know it's time. But we want to, to, I want to invite you to respond to this word. If you just need to take one step, uh, the prayer team is here, you know, but we have another gathering every single week. You might not know about it. It's on Thursdays, and it's a prayer meeting. And it's whatever, this this gathering is horizontal and vertical. That one's all vertical. It's just all eyes on Jesus, and it's built that way on purpose. And there's, there's singing, there's worship, things like that, but you're invited. And I'm going to stop saying see you next Sunday. I'm going to start saying see you Thursday because this is just who we are, right? It's part of our DNA as the church of Jesus Christ. And so maybe that's your next step with this. Maybe you're like, oh, my gosh, three days under a tent nonstop. I don't think I can do it. You know what I mean? Whatever. I mean, like, I'm not going to be there every single hour of that. I'm going to go home and sleep a little bit, you know, but, you know, maybe you're like, maybe you need to start, you know, taking steps before then. And Thursday prayer is a great time to do that. That's not just an advertisement. It's an invitation to truly keep the conversation going. I love that. It's just stay in the conversation with the Lord. How simple and hopeful is that? Like, he's going to be who he is. Amen. It's so good. So good. And by the way, we are, I have made a decree in the resting place that January 25th through 27th, when the tent is up, that we're shut down and we're moving over there. Like, there will be no Thursday prayer here. Glory soaking won't be here. No one's allowed to schedule anything official with TRP on those days because this is what the resting place is doing. We're going to the tent. We're going to be with the Lord. 
We're going to be with our region, with our brothers and sisters in the region. Amen. So that's just a little announcement there. But aren't you thankful for David? Aren't you thankful for what the Lord is doing in Tampa through him? Man. So I just want to pray to close, but if you're just here and you don't know the Lord, you're like, who are these people talking about? They're talking about like a person who's like real. Yeah, he is. God became a man. He lived a perfect life that you could never live. He died a horrible death so that you could live forever. He's here to offer you forgiveness today. So my prayer is, Father, that you would reveal Christ to everyone here who doesn't know him. Father, and I pray for boldness to admit and courage to say, I need forgiveness. If that's you today, you can come down when I say amen and talk to these people. And Father, we also ask for your healing power to start now. Lord, we are here as your people and saying, Lord, we need you. We have, we have pain in our bodies. We have pain in our heart. We need you to heal us, to touch us. So, Lord, would you move even on this altar time? And would you move as we continue to gather Thursday prayer, as we seek you in the secret place at our homes? Lord, we're asking you to touch us, to change us, to heal us, to give us that hope, that firm foundation that is the anchor of our souls. We thank you, Lord, for this word of the whole pathway. I just pray that every member of the resting place would take just one step today on that pathway and then another step and another step. And, Father, I thank you for your desire to speak with your kids. Oh, man. Aren't you glad you didn't just, like, say, figure it out. I'll see you in heaven. Like, thank you, Lord. You wish to give us. You, you're the voice behind us telling us which way we should go. God, we thank you for your voice. We thank you for these prophetic words on this tree. We thank you for all the ways you're seeking our heart to speak to us. And God, I pray that our ears would simply be open and our hearts would be willing to stay in the conversation. I love that. Stay in the conversation. So, Father, we bless David right now. We bless Awaken the Dawn. We receive him. Come on, can you say this? We receive you, David, into Tampa Bay. You're one of us now. Welcome home. We receive you, and we receive your gifts. We receive your anointing. We receive your calling on your life. Whoa. I just saw the Lord flip you upside down and shove you into the ground as a seed for the entire nation. I saw you upside down, shoved in the ground, and it's like out of your feet came a massive oak tree that was seen from every corner of every state, like a tree that's uh, so high you could see it from California. So, Lord, would you use this man's humility, his willingness to go low, to birth something that that the birds of the air come to perch on its branches. Just like you said, the kingdom of heaven, when planted, becomes the tallest tree. Lord, we thank you for this life that's going into this ground. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. So, Lord, we receive him. And we thank you for the shade he's going to bring, the good shade. Not like throwing shade the bad way, but like the good way. The shade for the nations, the, the bliss of knowing the pleasure of God. Wow. Sorry, not sorry. I just saw that. You flipped you upside down, shoved you in the ground, and a massive tree grew out of your feet. So, Lord, do it. We say yes. We thank you for choosing Tampa as the, as the garden plot. <laughs> we thank you, Lord. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll let you go. Have a great day. See you Thursday. Get your- thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.